Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Peter Greenwood Show podcast. I am Peter Greenwood, your host of this train wreck. Except for this week, it's got a little bit of class, it's got a little bit of style to it, because I have got the cast and crew of the film Anna and the Apocalypse on the show this week. Coming up soon, you're going to be hearing interviews with Sarah Swire, who plays Steph in the film, who is one of my new favourite characters ever in film history, and somebody who I would love to be best friends with, and also the director of the film, John McPhail. But first, we are going to be hearing from Alan McDonald about how Anna came together, the origins of it all, and much more. I'm not good with intros. The point is, this is Alan McDonald talking about the origins of Anna and the Apocalypse. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Peter Greenwood Show. And as you can see, I am not in the studio right now. That is because I am here. Hello, and so is my guest. Would you tell us your name and what you do, please? Uh, I'm Alan McDonald, and I am one of the co-writers of Anna and the Apocalypse. Ladies and gentlemen, Alan McDonald. Hello. <laughs> How are you today, Alan? You well? I'm good. It's a Friday evening, and I've had quite a long week. But I'm very happy to be here talking about Anna, as we have been for a little while now. Yep. <laughs> in various places. There is so much to get into with yep. the Anna of it all, but let's start right at the start. Okay, my mother and father loved each other very much. And then nine months later, you uh, came along. And then uh, I think almost ten years after marriage, I came along. I was a late baby. This is oh. information your realtors really don't need. <laughs> Where would you like to start? <laughs> Let's start with the basis of Anna yeah. and the Apocalypse. So uh, Anna and the Apocalypse is a coming-of-age Christmas zombie musical shot in Scotland. Um, it's the feature version of a short movie called Zombie Musical, uh, which was the brainchild of a guy called Ryan McHenry, who was a uh, very talented filmmaker uh, from Dumfries who was studying in Edinburgh, uh, and he was sitting with his girlfriend back, I think in late 2009, watching High School Musical, and was having an absolutely terrible time, and turned around to said, and said to her very frustrated voice, I really wish zombies would come in and eat Zac, uh, Zac Efron right now. <laughs> and when the time came for him to do his um, end of year uh, film for his course, uh, whilst everyone else was taking on very serious themes and uh, the kind of uh, social realism dramas you would expect from film students. Ryan decided that he was going to make his zombie musical. Uh, so he rounded up a bunch of friends, uh, all of whom thought, that's not true, many of whom thought it was a bit of a bad idea, uh, but they did so anyway. And they, they, they created a, a short movie, which was a zombie film and a musical um, that premiered at the Dumfries Film Festival, their local film festival, where a production company from Glasgow called Black Camel picked it up. And at that point, I was co-writing and, and friends with a script reader at that company. Uh, so I was myself uh, a kind of a rookie screenwriter. I was an English and drama teacher at the time, trying to get my own work away. Uh, and my friend, uh, when Zombie Musical, the short came in and Ryan started to think about the feature, said to his company, uh, my co-writer is a high school teacher who loves Glee and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and should probably look at this and just give you, you know, some, some thoughts, some ideas, some responses. So I looked at it. Uh, and thought the short was amazing. I thought Ryan's ideas were amazing and just sketched down a bunch of my own responses in terms of, oh, well, you know, this should be a film. I think it's going to be great. Um, here are some things you might want to think about from the TV shows that I watch and the films that I like and best of luck with it. And a week later, I was invited to come and meet Ryan. And a week after that, I was co-writer. Uh, and that was back in 2010. Uh, and we worked on the feature version of Zombie Musical, which became Man in the Apocalypse uh, over a, a number of years. Um, uh, and then... Ryan was diagnosed with osteosarcoma, which is a form of bone cancer that predominantly affects younger people. Uh, and unfortunately, we lost him at age 27 in 2015. 
After which we all had to kind of uh, rally and, and, and decide what to do. But our producer, Nason Eli Karu, who was one of Ryan's best friends, had asked him before Ryan passed what he, what he wanted us to do, and he wanted us to make the film. So we got back together, and I took on script writing duties solo. Um, our composers, uh, Roddy Hart and Tommy Riley, were on board at that point in making demos, and we found our director, John McPhail, who had uh, put together his own micro-budget feature, um, a film called Where Do We Go From Here?, uh, and premiered it at um, a festival up here, I think, uh, which is where Nason and our other producer, Nick Crum, had seen it. Uh, and they brought John on board, and then that was pretty much the team. Um, Nason and Nick went off uh, and miraculously found finance. Creative Scotland came on board. Uh, John, Roddy, Tommy and I continued to work up the script, the songs, the storyboards, uh, and we shot the film in January, February 2017. A year later, we, uh, we found distribution with uh, Orion MGM and Vertigo releasing, and we are now out! <laughs> Finally, eight years after I began, and more for the others. What was Ryan like as a creative filmmaker? Ryan was a force of nature, and I know that people describe other people like that, particularly when they passed on, but in Ryan's case, it was one of the most truthful statements you could make. Um, he was, he was, a, he was a, so physically he was a big guy, uh, kind of towered over you, and he was broad. Um, put on muscle very easily. Like his favorite, uh, his favorite movie was Die Hard, and he loved wearing like the Bruce Willis vest uh, for Halloween and things. He's got fantastic uh, taste. There, but he man. was also a gentle giant. He was the most loyal person you'll ever meet, and incredibly supportive of other people's talents. Um, I, I I recently spoke to his parents uh, on the um, on the release of the film, and we were talking about you know kind of our experiences back in the day. And they very, very kindly said that um, Ryan had said once we started working together, he felt like he learned more working with me than he did at uni, which has absolutely nothing to do, I think, with my qualifications, but more to do with he knew that I was just a writer to my bones and he was a director, first and foremost, and he really respected what other people could bring to the process. And he was a real team player, but he was also a massive visionary. His, his shorts are gorgeous. Um, zombie musical is obviously great. There's another one called Toast um, about a man who uh, wins a radio competition uh, for a year's supply of toast, which gets posted through his door every day and then starts to become mentally unraveled. And it's phenomenal. So Ryan was really full of kind of quirky offbeat ideas, um, unapolo unapologetically a massive fan of mainstream cinema, huge Christopher Nolan fan. Um, and a huge Edgar Wright fan, and, and that's who he wanted to be. Um, he, he had a beautiful eye for uh, a shot. He had a great, uh, a great ear for a gag. But first and foremost, like, he, he loved people. He loved working with people. He loved making things with people. Um, we all miss him dearly, but his, uh, you know, his stamp is still in the DNA of the film. I think the, 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 the most um, fitting tribute of Anna the Apocalypse is the fact that very much in keeping with the way Ryan felt about the people he worked with, there are stamps of all sorts of people on that film. You know, so, so I am in there in the script. Uh, Nason and Nick are in there, um, both in, in the development of the story and in the, you know, the team that were put together. John's vision, uh, you know, as a, as, as a director who never got to meet Ryan, is so strongly all over that film, uh, even though Ryan's DNA is in there. Um, and obviously our, our music boys, Roddy and Tommy, have, have brought their own um, musical talent and, and their own... Um, kind of enthusiasm and I would say kind of personal genius to the project so it belongs to everyone but in a really funny way I think that's actually the most um, fitting tribute to Ryan I, I can imagine that it isn't about a singular vision it's about a team of people coming together who really believed in his idea and wanted to make it. It seems like Anna was the most fantastic gift he gave people. Uh, well yeah I think I mean 
I don't know. I, 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 I personally, I would argue his friendship probably, uh, probably yeah. you know, trumps that for us. Um, but yes, um, in the wider sense, he and I, and I know he did the same with his other friends, used to sit and talk a lot um, about. Uh, you know, we used to joke about what it would be like when Anna got made, and then we could do the Gremlins reboot. You know, we would have those conversations. I used to talk to him about how, uh, you know, fine, we'll do Gremlins, but then we're taking Mass Effect. You know that, right? Like, because I want to do Mass Effect. Um, and uh, Ryan, actually, it's also worth saying, um, people at home might, might know this, was the originator of the Ryan Gosling won't eat his cereal meme, which took over the world for about a month uh, in, I want to say 2013, 2014, something like that. Um, uh, he created those vines and they, they went viral and they went worldwide. And, and the fact that then we made the movie after his passing and managed to get that to go worldwide as well. And there are now, at this moment, there are people on Twitter sharing Anne and the Apocalypse gifts. That, that's Ryan, up and down. Like the, he had a really, special, um, a really special kind of glow about him, I think, that was in tune with kind of popular culture. Um, and it is incredibly sad that we lost him, but his name is on that film. And like I said, his, his voice is in that film as well. Let's get into the production of Anna a little bit. <laughs> okay. So you all went away and yep. worked on the script and then it came back. What was the process like from having a finished script to casting to production? Well, the first thing I would say is uh, I would love it if everyone had considered it a finished script. <laughs> so that doesn't exist. Uh, I, I, I knew this was the case in TV, uh, but I discovered this very quickly in film. Uh, I was making uh, amendments right up until the shoot. I was making amendments on the shoot. Uh, so we, we had a shooting script, certainly, um, that we jokingly called Locked. But essentially all that really meant was this is the script we have budgeted so that when we get our, um, our heads of department in, this is the script they're working up. So our, our, you know, our art department is working to create these scenes. Our locations manager is looking for these places. Costume and makeup are thinking about um, you know, these characters in these situations. Our fight co coordinator, uh, Emma Claire Brightland, was thinking specifically about um, those fight sequences. But um, we were still having conversations about character and about pacing. As John put together his storyboards, as the boys put together their music, we were still having conversations about scenes. In fact, after a read-through, uh, which was wonderful and I think is still on film somewhere. So hopefully that goes out as an extra at some stage because um, it, was, it was amazing, absolutely gorgeous. Um, but at the end of a read-through, we all got together and our first AD, uh, Jonathan Farmer, who was a, he's a very experienced guy who really helped keep the ship afloat uh, for lots of that shoot, um, said, oh, absolutely fantastic read-through today, one of the best to be at. Everyone had a really good time. You know there are five pages too many in this script for the shooting days we have, don't you? And everyone just kind of sat and went, sorry, what? So, uh, we're, sorry, what? So we, we, we were doing pre-production just before Christmas, having a brief Christmas shutdown and then starting to shoot in January. So my Christmas holiday was spent uh, snipping and making amendments. Um, so we, we found pages we could lose. We, we toyed with losing a couple of songs, which we ended up not doing. Um, al al although we did lose one in the edit in the end. Um, but in terms of like the fixed script, everyone was con everyone was working on all their you know the, their their various jobs. John was running between departments, so he'd, he'd check something in art, then he'd come and speak to me about a thing in the script, then he'd go have a look at his storyboards and talk to his DOP, uh, Sarah Dean, and uh, then he'd quickly speak to the producers just to make sure that we still had uh, days scheduled for particular things. It was uh, it was fairly manic. Um, the cast arrived for pre-production rehearsal. And that was good because that felt like they were there. We got a read-through done and we were starting to get some rehearsals done and we were getting a sense of how it was working. But Sarah Swire, who plays Steph in the film and is also our choreographer, 
uh, got held up coming back, uh, coming over from Canada. So we didn't get to do our choreography rehearsals as much as we'd hoped or do the read through with Sarah. So it, it was terrifying. Like, um, you know, we're this tiny crew, the crew, sorry, we're the tiny development team. We had a really big, really experienced crew, which I think saw us through. But the main kind of development team of, uh, you know, John had made his micro budget and some shorts. Uh, Nason and Nick had produced some shorts. This was my first feature. Roddy and Tommy, this was their first musical. We were all kind of flying by the seat of our pants. Um, and for a lot of the cast, it wasn't their first roles. Uh, although Malcolm Cumming, who plays John, it, it was his first screen role. Um, but it was the first thing of that level of ambition. Even Ella had said the same Ella Hunt, who plays our lead, having done other movies, she said this is the most ambitious thing she'd tried. Um, and we didn't know if it was going to work out, but it was that sense of just, we really believed in the material and we really believed in the film. And we just thought we had something. Um, for me though, I wasn't convinced until day two or three of the shoots, which was when we started to shoot Hollywood Ending, a big song and dance number in a canteen in the film. And uh, we were set up by the monitors. We were in a school in Port Glasgow, St. Stephen's, and um, Hollywood Ending was being shot in the canteen and we were all decanted. Huh no pun intended, uh, into a side room, like was a classroom with the monitors. Um, oh, do you know what it was? It's where the food was. That was excellent. There were teas and coffees and food and I was very happy. Uh, but as we watched the monitors, we'd watched Breakaway. The problem with uh, Breakaway, if you see it in the film, apologies, I'm going into too much detail here. Um, it's a song that takes place across multiple locations. So that song was, f was shot piecemeal on various different days. So we'd done a bit of it the previous day, but Hollywood ending was all shot in one day. Uh, sorry, two days. Um, and I remember about mid-morning, we'd done our first kind of master shots. The dances were kicking off. Ella was really owning the song. Uh, and John was moving his camera around. And I leaned into Nason and kind of tapped his shoulder and said, I think this might be good. Uh, and that was the moment that like he, and he kind of looked and kind of gave me a little smile. And I was like, okay, yeah. Whatever happens now, I think we're doing the thing we set out to do. Let's talk about the cast a little bit, because yeah. obviously Ella Hunt, yep, who's played, wonderful, she yeah. is a revelation she is, in uh, that film. She is. And Malcolm, who plays Malcolm John. Cumming, who plays John, yeah, we, uh, we found him still in drama school. Uh, we were, uh, that was another stress. It's funny thinking back on all this now, because, you know, I'm, I'm flashing back to kind of autumn, winter 2016 here, but um, we had auditioned a lot of people for this film. Uh, we had two different casting directors. We looked at actors up here. We looked at actors down in London. Um, John went through so many tapes. Uh, and very quickly, we started to get a sense of, no, no, there's really good young talent out here that's not discovered. Um, and it's about finding the chemistry between the actors. But the, the missing link for a very long time was the character of John. And we, we saw some really, really good actors. Um, but it just wasn't quite right. And once we knew we had Ella... The other thing with um, the male actors was we had to find somebody who had the level of experience in the shops to play, you know, a guy who's actually, he's a very sweet guy, but you don't want him to become sickly. And that's quite difficult. But you also, we also couldn't cast an actor who was old enough to have tons of experience because beside Ella, who was only 18 at the time, they're supposed to be best friends in the same year. You know, if, if we've got an actor in there who's clearly 25, it's not going to work. And we were really struggling. Um, and then I think John reached out further and asked the conservatoire in Glasgow, um, you know, who have you got in your year right now? This is what we're looking for. And they suggested Malcolm. Uh, and we had Malcolm do a self-tape for us uh, in which he was wearing a Ghostbusters jumper. Um, Cast him right away. And we looked at it and it was funny because obviously it was shot at home and the lighting wasn't great and the sound wasn't great and it was him in a living room. 
Um, and obviously John wasn't there to give him any kind of notes or direction, but you could just see it. You know, you could just see, oh, oh no, it's okay, we found them. Like, you know, and obviously the next worry was then, but this guy's a second year drama student, you know, is this going to work? Like, is he going to be able to come on and, and, and really feel confident and do it? Um, but after the read through, uh, our script development executive is a woman called Gillian Christie who helped script edit the movie all the way through and was honestly, she talked me down from so many <laughs> horrific situations along the way, just my saviour. Uh, she leaned in at the end and whispered to me, it's lucky we didn't have to cast John, we just found him, right? <laughs> I was like, yes, yes it is. Uh, so Malcolm was a massive, massive find, but so was everyone. Ella, I think we caught it just the right time. Um, I think she has big, big things ahead of her now and she is just... She's a, she's a movie star. You know, you can see it in the way that she moves. You can see it in the way she talks. You can see it in the way she presents herself. She's a movie star. Um, what was casting her like? Where did she come from? Uh, casting agency. Uh, so Ella's done some work before. She did a movie called Our Robot Overlords uh, back when she was 14, I think. So she's done a bit of genre work before. Um, I think she'd done a bit of modeling and she'd also been on Cold Feet and um, uh, Mr. Selfridge. So she'd done screen work and she, she came with experience. Um, but at the time, I think she was just, what she said since was she was looking for something that wasn't just going to cast her as the vacuous pretty girl, but also wasn't just going to make her like the, the school gossip queen. You know, she wanted something with a bit of bite to it, but also that, that, that would allow her to kind of show her various talents. And Ella, Ella's a musician, you know, Ella, Ella composes her music, Ella sings, um, and when this came along, she said her agent first sent it and she said, what, a zombie musical and wasn't massively impressed with the entire thing. And her agent said, no, read it. Like, just take a look because I think you'll be surprised. Uh, and then she realized, she listened to the songs and she realized, oh, wait, actually, no, there is something here. Um, uh, and she auditioned with everyone else. And it became very evident to us very quickly that she had that star quality and she could do everything. And that was really important for the music boys that we had somebody who could naturally sing. Um, and then we could work on the action stuff later. She's, she's multi-talented, she is really smart, um, she, uh, she knows what she wants, and one thing John really liked about Ella as well is she's not afraid to ask why when she gets a note. She's not difficult, but she wants to understand the process, she wants to understand where things are coming from. Um, so she and I talked a bit about the script, and she and John talked a lot about scenes along the way, um, and it was about her finding where a lot of this stuff felt real to her. Uh, and I think a lot of that comes across on screen. But it also really helps that the cast as a whole, we were incredibly lucky in this respect. Um, they, they just got on like a house on fire. Uh, one of the, the smartest things I think John did was in building in a week's um, extra rehearsal in pre-production, it was partly devoted to rehearsal and partly just an excuse for the actors to get to know each other. Um, so, you know, they were all of a similar age and they very quickly ended up um, kind of bonding. Uh, Ella and Marley have become really good friends. Uh, and uh, the cast as a whole all got on, which you couldn't legislate for. You never know. Everyone was always going to be professional. But the fact that they really love each other it makes it and they've become such a family. Uh, is amazing. There's a point in the film, which I won't spoil because it comes very late, but there's a point in the film with a video on a TV screen. Um, mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, one of the reasons... I, so that scene is actually my favourite scene in the movie. It was the scene I was most happy with when I'd finished writing it and had been in there since draft one. Um, 
that's going to mean nothing to you if you haven't seen it, and I don't want to spoil it right now. But the point is, the video in that is of is of our main characters, but shot by one of the characters. So it's it's like it's like iPhone footage of them just hanging out and messing around. That was all shot during um, pre-production as they were getting to know each other. I did wonder. When yeah. That, yeah. And then when it's played in the film, it plays in a narrative way that I, th- I find really beautiful. Um, but what's awesome about it is even though that moment in the story was written and even though we knew we would have to shoot that stuff, I had always presumed, <clears throat> excuse me, we would just build it into the shoot. We would say, okay, we'll finish at this location and then literally someone will get a phone and the cast will mess around a bit and we'll pick up the footage. But because it was shot in pre-production as John wanted it to be, what it means is you are literally watching these people become friends, which is why I think that footage plays so beautifully on screen and why I hope we get to show it in its entirety at some later date because you can watch them just realize that whatever happens with this film, they're really happy to be here and they're having a great time and they're having Nerf gun wars. And also we're in a, we're in a school. We're in an empty school and they're all in school uniforms. So they're all regressing. You know, they're just hanging out with a bunch of other people their own age and messing around and having a laugh and they're allowed to and no one's going to come in and shout at them. So they, they just kind of became this really tight group of teenagers. So by the time we started shooting, there was such a connection, you know, and I, I don't like the vast majority of those cast members were, were quite teary on their last days of the shoots because it was a really special experience for everyone. Um, and I think that shows, uh, you know, and as I say, you can't really legislate for that, but when we cast, we cast the characters and we cast for chemistry and we just got really lucky with the human beings that we got along the way. Let's talk a little bit about shooting because you're shooting in January in Greenock. Yep. You had about 27 <laughs> minutes of light. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's actually, that's true. Um, I, so my role on set, um, I was very lucky that because I'd been in the process in the very beginning, um, and also because John is a really collaborative guy, I had um, essentially an open ticket to be on set as much as I wanted. So I was on there about two thirds of the time, and when I was off set, it's because I had things to work on. Um, But what that meant was I can kind of pick and choose my days. So days with really heavy dialogue, I tried to be around. Days with like sequences that I thought would be fun to watch, I tried to be around. But I missed some other stuff. What that also meant though was if it looked like there was going to be an exterior shoot and it was raining horribly that day, I just stayed at home. Mm, Um, But uh, they struggled with lights. They massively struggled with temperature. It was so cold. Um, the scene there's a scene with a ball pit in the movie, which we shot quite early on, actually in the car park of the it's Peter Jackson style, like I did with Lord of the Rings. We shot it in the car park, uh, but in the car park of the school. Uh, and I there's some behind the scenes footage of me. Um, Connor Riley, our EPK guy, uh, managed to get a wee interview with me at the time, and I'm chuckling away, and he's asking me what's so funny, and I'm standing there in like three layers, all wrapped up. Um, it's about eight o'clock in the morning. The temperatures are freezing and there's a mist over the place. It's January. And I turned around to Connor and said, if you look out there, there are 100 people right now, including a bunch of cast in nothing but thin school shirts doing this, all because I decided to put a ball pit in a script. Um, and I had a lot of those experiences when we're just kind of like, this is insane. And those ball pits, there are paddling pools that were kind of remarked by art. Uh, and the first one we used burst on the first take. So the art, art department had to go off and blow up a new one. <laughs> and everyone's standing freezing in the cold. So um, funnily enough, we were sort of lucky with the weather. It was very, very cold. Uh, and it rained on a couple of occasions that was less than ideal. But it snowed during our pre-production week, which meant we were able to grab some second unit footage, which makes it into the end of the movie and gets us a bit of our snow. Um, and... It mostly stayed clear during the shoot so that the crew could make it to the set. So all of that kind of worked out okay for us. It just was bitterly, bitterly cold 
um, and everyone was spending a great deal of time uh, with coffees and teas. The one day that really um, that really broke us uh, and actually did proper damage to the film that we have since managed to remedy, but it was a really down day. So, Anna and the Apocalypse is meant to open with a giant song and dance number. It was written, it was in the script, and the song What a Time to Be Alive was written for that sequence. Uh, is that the song that closes the movie? Uh, it's the song that now closes the movie, yes. It was meant to open the movie, um, and we shot it. We spent an entire day shooting it. We shot it in a... Uh, so the shopping village, uh, if you watch the movie, there's a sequence uh, with a trolley later in the movie where Anna and John are walking and talking through what looks like a decimated kind of shopping mall area. Um, and I think we shot that out Livingston way. Um, but that is the aftermath, the literal aftermath of us trying to shoot our opening song and dance number when the place was beautifully decorated. We arrived about six o'clock in the morning and some snow had fallen and all the roofs were covered in snow and everything looked beautiful. And Art had been out the previous day and that morning putting things out and there were lights hanging, and there were lanterns and it just looked gorgeous. And then round about nine o'clock, the rain and the wind began. Um, and what happened next was as we got our, I think, 50 extras out and our main cast and we started to rehearse and John got his cameras out and the entire crew was there, we were stuck in gale force winds and rain and we spent, I think, eight to ten hours shooting to the point where, I mean, when I went home that day, I had to go straight into the shower to warm up. We were so cold uh, and bless those extras, they sang, they danced that we did multiple takes. We did this whole big, brilliant song and dance number um, that was meant to open up the film with uh, our kind of drunken, zombified Santa at the beginning. And we could not use a frame of it. Uh, we tried in the edit, there were versions we tried, but uh, our VFX artist did his best to put the snow back on the roofs. And But it, it came a point where we just had to say, it just looks like all these poor people are stuck in gale force winds. We cannot use this. So that was the one day that was a real downer. Uh, and I remember turning to Tommy we were behind the monitors at the time and saying to him, we're going to have to rewrite this. Like, this is how the movie opens, but this isn't going to work. Uh, and he and I kind of talking about alternatives and he and I came up with the idea of maybe we need an animated sequence um, and we can open the movie that way. Uh, and that was the festival version that played. It opened with the animated sequence, which has now gone to the end of the movie for the credits. Um, but the movie was super lucky in every way except the one day we really needed the the weather to work for us but that's shooting in scotland yeah that's that's yeah. kind of powerful of course yeah what are the memories you'll take away from production of anna um i, I think they're all different for everyone if you ask the cast that question i think they would talk about the um i think they talk about offset hanging out with their friends you know playing games and getting to know each other um the, the producers i'm sure would have very different john i think would have very different memories because it was a stressful shoot for me um I mentioned Hollywood ending earlier. I think watching that was the point where I realized um, whatever happens now, we've at least tried to make the thing we set out to. And that was really, really wonderful. Um, also, the uh, the scene earlier I mentioned with the TV in it, it's a scene in a staff room. Um, I was in that scene as a zombie. Uh, yeah, but man, I also got to watch my... I, I'm literally in my favorite scene, which is really lovely. Um but there were so many that were the Lisa has a song in the film, which is kind of a dirty Christmas song. And yeah, we had all it. of our friends and family, like my mother-in-law was there, but not, we didn't tell them what they were there for. We just said, we really need you for a movie and the scene is a Christmas show. So they all arrive and it is the evening and we shoot it and they all applaud and they smile. And then we shot the sequence. And that was, 
one of the funniest things I've ever seen, A, just in terms of how it was realised on stage, and then B, watching all of these poor, unsuspecting friends and family uh, literally react in real time to the filthiest Christmas song that's ever been uh, that's, that's ever been shot, ever been sung. But I think as a whole, like, I, I have so many memories. Like, I remember uh, wrapping our principal photography. We did a couple of days of pickups later, but when we finished our last scene, everyone just being so happy there was so many like I, I went on set to say thank you to Ella and she jumped up and gave me a big hug and it was just like everyone was so pleased with what we'd done and we'd had a really good time so I think there's a range of different kind of funny memories along the way but more than anything for me I just have this abiding memory that we had a crew who were super experienced but didn't really get a chance to do something that wild so often so everyone really threw themselves into it actually no I tell a lie I do have one enormous abiding memory and it's actually the rap party um, okay. we all went out had a lovely evening, but we closed the night with Hollywood ending and we stuck on the dance floor. And I will never forget how, every, I, I want to say two thirds of the people in that room rushed the dance floor and were singing and dancing and every single person knew the words. And I remember Roddy and Tommy standing to one side, looking at each other kind of like with this kind of dazed, uh, bemused delight that this song they'd written, like how do, how, you know, I know we've been on set and people have heard this, but how do they all know this? Um, and again, that was that moment where I felt like, oh no, we've all shared something here. So whenever I hear that song now, and I have heard it about a billion times at this point, um, it reminds me that, no, no, this film has an identity. You know, it, it, it um, owes a lot, I think, to uh, the kind of... Um, uh, the works of other filmmakers. There's, there's some John Carpenter in there, there's some Edgar Wright in there, there's some Buffy the Vampire Slayer in there. Like There are things we all love in that film, but when I think about Hollywood ending and when I think about our cast and when I think about some of those scenes, to me, that's an Anna and the Apocalypse song. You know, it has its own character uh, and that's kind of what I take away from my memories of the shoot, I think. So would it be fair to say that Hollywood Ending is your favourite song? No. Human oh. Voice is my favourite song. Human Voice? Yeah. I have, a, I have a story about that as well, if you want to hear oh, it. go for it. Uh, so there's a song called Human Voice, which happens about halfway through the film and marks the point where the film becomes a little less kind of bouncy and knock around and a little bit darker. Um, it takes place in a bowling alley and it takes place during... Um, some conflict going on outside and in the original script the idea was always that because it's a Christmas movie this would be our little drummer boy moment like we'll, we'll get a kind of a Christmassy military style uh, drummy kind of drummer beat song going on here and it'll be really kind of dark and, 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 and moving um, and we didn't have that song yet and when Roddy and Tommy were knocking up demos for us all to listen to they had a new studio space and the studio space allowed them to do some more electronic stuff than they'd done before because everything had been on piano and guitar prior to that, just in demo form. And uh, in the songs they sent through to Nason to send to me, just to say, here's where the songs are at as you're writing, Human Voice had slipped in. It had nothing to do with Anna. They'd knocked it up as essentially just a demo of what they could do in the studio, and it was a song they'd composed themselves and were looking to actually sell to a, a recording artist. Um, and then I heard it and immediately thought, oh no, like, uh, no, 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 we're keeping this because I know exactly what to do with this song. Uh, and others, the others weren't convinced initially, like, no, it wasn't written for the film, like, it's not. So I went off and I rewrote that sequence uh, and I put the song into the script and sent it to everyone and said, listen to the song and read the script and look at the characters I've given this to. Um, and they all came back and said, oh, no, okay, yeah, yeah, we see how it fits now. So this kind of song that Roddy and Tommy had written just kind of about, you know, just kind of about phone culture, really, this notion that, oh, well, you know, we're all on our screens and we don't really, you know, talk, um, which is, is quite prevalent, I think, in, in, in pop culture right now anyway, took on a whole new dimension when you add the narrative um, events of the film at that point. 
uh, and when we started to split it between characters it became a really exciting thing I think it's a great pop song I think it's kind of churches-esque and I really love it anyway but for me that was the first moment where I got to say you know it wasn't about saying to them here's the song we need to go off and write it it was I get to do a bit of this in reverse. Like, here's a thing that exists that I think I can make work in this story. Um, so Human Voice is my favourite song. <laughs> and I know there's a lot you can't talk about at the yeah. moment, but sequel? <laughs> um, I mean, never say never, but we're there's no intention there right now. Um, what What I can say is... What can I say? Uh, we are talking to lots of different parties about how Anna and the Apocalypse might be uh, other things. <laughs> that's about all I can say. Yeah. Uh, so that's exciting. We'd all love to work together again. Um, so like we, we would all love to make a spiritual successor, not necessarily a direct sequel, but... Um, I mean, the other thing about this film is, we, you know, we love everyone who's in it and it's a zombie movie. Not everyone makes it out. So yeah, it would be yeah. quite harsh to a, a decent number of people if we were to go for a direct sequel. But we would really like to do something similar. Not a zombie movie, but like we want to make another musical together. We want to make another genre musical together, I think. Um, I know we all love sci-fi. So there are things we're playing with, but we're not there yet. Uh, there will be more, I suspect there will be more Anna and the Apocalypse in some form. Um, and in terms of us as filmmakers, there will definitely be another musical at some stage from us, shot and, and out there. But what that will be, we just don't know yet. You know, everyone's kind of doing their own thing. They're off doing other stuff right now, and we have a plan to kind of get back together next year and start talking about what's next. And then that's when the Avengers will reassemble. That's when, the, yes, yes. That's actually it's very well timed, given the trailer came out today. Oh, very exciting. Oh, it's so exciting. I'm so oh, excited. I, I just need it all over me. Yeah, it's uh, that and Game of Thrones teasing at the same time april's gonna be a hell of a month um it's gonna be i can't wait yeah it's so, so exciting uh yes the avengers will assemble at some stage uh, reassemble at some stage i think um and then kind of decide what we want to do next but like blazing griffin have at least one if not two other features next year coming that are not with me or with john so like the production company are on other things the cast are all doing different theater or film work right now roddy and tommy are working on uh, an American TV show that I can't name because it's not out yet, but that's it's a big job, and they're about to start in another film, I think. Um, and I have a couple of films that uh, it looks like I'm going to be doing at least the first half of next year. So we all have a you know we all have some different projects, but we are all yeah we're, we'll be back. You know this was too much fun, and we love each other too much to not do something again. But Anna was such a a wild um, kind of a wild swing that paid off much better than any of us expected, which now leaves us in a position where it's less, well, we did our kind of, you know, fun, slightly ropey first film, and now we get to do the real one, and it's more, oh, wow, actually, that worked out really well, and we're really proud of it. So the next thing we do needs to be good, uh, and it needs to be something we all believe in in the same way. So it's going to take a bit of time to decide, I think. Alan McDonald, thank you for your time today. Thank you very much for having me. Stay with us, won't you, because we're going to play Alan's favourite song for the movie, Human Voice. Amazing. This is the Peter Greenwood Show. I am the host of this train wreck, Peter Greenwood. Hello there. Right, let's talk about this week's topic. This week's show is an Anna and the Apocalypse special. And how did I get involved in this film? I would like to point out, by the way, that I'm not actually involved in the film. Like, it's not as if 
I'm marketing this for anybody. It's not as if anybody's asked me to do this. I would like to point out officially for the record that I am just a fan of this film. And I just wanted everybody to share in this film because that's how much I loved it. Honestly, nobody is paying me to do this. Nobody has asked me to do this. This is completely on me. I have chosen to do this because I really love this film. And I live not far from where it was actually filmed. And I remember hearing when it was filming, oh, there's going to be a zombie Scottish musical. And growing up, I was always a big fan of the zombie films, specifically the George Romero zombie films. And I always felt that those films could have done with some music. (laughs) No, those films are perfect, but they perfectly encapsulate why I love the zombie genre. And over the years, there's been all kinds of attempts to sully the genre. You know, there's been just flat-out splatter fests and CGI monster zombie effects. And it's just, you know the worst, right? Let me tell you a thing. I'm going to tell you a thing. The worst zombie film possibly ever made, at least among the worst, is the 2004 remake of Dawn of the Dead. And I will tell you for why. Running zombies. I can't tell you how much that burned my ass, and I don't know why. Like, everyone's entitled to their own take on the genre. Everyone is entitled to do their own thing, but... When I saw Zack Snyder was doing Running Zombies, I was like, nope, not for me, I am out. So that really stuck a, stuck a bone in my bonnet. Not a bone in my bonnet, a bee in my bonnet. That's what you stick in a bonnet. You stick a bone. Where, where do you stick a bone? Remember, this is a family show. Behave yourselves. So I discovered Anna and the Apocalypse was filming nearby to where I live, And I was really intrigued by it then, but then it kind of went all a bit quiet while they they went away and edited it and whatnot, and now it is out. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to play you the trailer so you can hear what it sounds like. I know, trailers on the radio. I used to do this all the time on the Movie Beat on Friday, and it always used to make me laugh because you're listening to something that you should be watching. And so trailers on the radio is a thing that's happening. So this is the trailer for Anna and the Apocalypse. Further updates, reports of mass infection with the as yet unidentified virus continue to come in from across the world. Hey guys! Have a good morning. Sure, it'll be the same as always. Can you hear me? I'm a first aider. New Zombies. Not zombies. Oh, right, because that's perfectly normal. I'm ready. Hey, zombies, right? I know. We are not opening the doors. My little girls out there. I'm getting my dad, all right? How are we going to get past all the zombies? I just had the best idea ever. This is the stupidest idea ever. All right, losers. What do I do? Light the movie! Destroy the brain! We go through here, we might make it to the school before sundown. Plus, it'll be fun. Yeah, certain death is so much fun. (gasps) This isn't fun anymore. Hello? 
hashtag evac selfie. Well, we all deserve to go extinct. How good does that sound? I mean, the music alone makes it sound so worth going to see. And then you've got the zombies. Then you've got the cast who are brilliant. And it's just, it's a good time. So what I'm going to do after the break is I am going to bring on the writer of the film, Alan MacDonald. And he is going to tell us all about the making of Anna and the Apocalypse. And later on, the director of the film, John McPhail. And then... The, the lady I want to be my new best friend because she is so cool, Sarah Swire, will be on this show. Stay with us, won't you? So much more coming up. This is the Peter Greenwood Show. I'm Felicity Ward. Hi, um, I'm Jarrett. I'm from the band Bowling for Soup. This is Chris James. Hi, I'm Lauren Aquilina. My name's Orla Gartland. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a band man, Rob Broderick, to the show. I'm Sunny. Please welcome to the show from Still Game, Jane McCarry. Hi, everybody. My name is Tessa Violet. And this was year one. This is the Peter Greenwood Show, and my next guest in this Anna and the Apocalypse special has something of a unique view of the film, maybe because he directed it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Peter Greenwood Show, director John McPhail. How are you today, John? I am very well, mate. Very well. So let's talk about the origins of Anna and how you got involved in the project. Well, the origins are, um, it, it comes from the, the brainchild of uh, Ryan McHenry, um, who um, came famous overnight by doing like the Ryan Gosling 180 serial vines. Which um, were amazing at the time. I remember seeing them and thinking, I, this is amazing. I know, I know, it's brilliant. And um, he, um, uh, for his like final year film, he was going to... Uh, Came up with this idea. He'd been watching the like uh, High School Musical, and he was like, "Oh, this would be amazing if like zombies turned up and it's Zac Efron." Um, <laughs> so it kind of sparked from there, and he was like, "I need to." He was going to do a final year film at uh, university, and he phoned up his um, like uh, long term friend, Nathan Alakiru, and was like, "Do I produce this for me?" And he was like, "No, absolutely not. This sounds terrible." But um, he's he done it, and the, the two of them done it, and they made this little short, and um, it won a, a new talent BAFTA in Scotland, and um, got picked up to be developed into a feature film, you know. And through that all that process, that's where like Roddy Hart and Tommy Riley came on board to start composing the music. Our co-writer Alan McDonald came on very very early doors, you know, in 2010, 2011. But he's been on the project for. Since, since inception and uh, the two of them uh, worked away on the script and then unfortunately in 2015 Ryan lost his battle with cancer and sadly passed away before Ryan passed Nace and asked him you know do you want us to carry on with the project do you want us to carry on making this film and Ryan said that yeah he did you know you know, it was something that was five years in the making that they'd been all working towards the boys had been raised in finance him and Alan had been working on the script and the boys had been working on songs so it became something else, you know, it wasn't just his idea anymore, it was this, all these people behind it and working away on it. And yeah, so they started looking for, for new directors and they were looking at horror directors and musical directors and just hadn't seemed to find that right fit. And they saw my romantic comedy coming of age film, Where Do We Go From Here, um, mm -hmm. at Glasgow Film Festival, where like, they thought that that's what they wanted for Anna. You know, it wasn't about the spectacle and they asked me to come and pitch for it and that was... That was that. Like I got, I got the job in the April of 2016, and we started shooting in January. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask all about the shooting and all about the filming, but first, I want to know 
How far along was the project when you came on board and was there any cast attached? No, there was no cast attached or anything like that. It was um, the the script. In fact, when I got the script initially, there was two versions of them. Um, and in one version, like it was, it was just significant differences. And then I got another script like, uh, further down the line because this was an ongoing process for quite a wee while. Because I'd pitched for it the year previous, I think. So and then and, and I like found out till it was in the April or something like that. Anyway, the um yeah, the, so the script had taken uh, like a few reincarnations. Um like as expected, you know, like Alan took over the, the writing of it and had been been writing with this guy for five years and like not only was his writing partner, it became like his best one of his best friends. And to lose not only as I say, your one of your best friends and your writing partner at such a young age. You know, this, so the script obviously took a darker turn. You know, Alan himself wasn't finding, you know, the, the sort of joy in it. And um, our script executive, um, Gillian, yeah, Gillian Christie, and Nathan Alakiru sat him down and, you know, said to him, he pushed him to try and get bring that joy back, which he totally had. Um, so when I came on board, there was a there was a sort of like more closer to what the final, the final film is at the moment. But as soon as I come on board, you know, I'm going to get my stamp on it. I want to get, you know, my jokes and I want to get things in there that I like. And me and Alan worked, worked away brilliantly. I loved, I loved working with Alan. In fact, I wanted Alan on board as my on-set writer. Like, I wanted them there as every day. Just just because, because he'd been part of the project for so long, I wanted them on set. I didn't want his job to be done as a writer. And there was, there was a, quite a few times when, you know, we needed them. <laughs> like, you know, it was like a couple of, a couple of lines here and there. You know, I, I work with my cast to, like, play with dialogue and things, but there's going to be a couple of lines here and there that I can run in and go, oh, Alan, what do you think about this or this or this? And then there was a day where we were running behind and like we were just, um, we, we had such massive, massive amounts of pages to shoot and get through. And we were like, he went away and found like two and a half, three pages for me, which is, you know, like amazing. That's like, they're absolutely like wonderful, which saved me like, a, like half a day. His work wasn't just done like there either. This whole like film, which has been amazing about it, it's been such a collaborative process throughout all of it, even with the, the music side to the, the filming side. How important was it to you to find somebody who could bring Anna off the page, especially how she'd been written by both Ryan and Alan? Of course, as well, because we're all guys. <laughs> like, you know, we're all guys. Yeah. Um, my, you know, my two lead producers, Nathan Alakiru, Nicholas Crum, there's me, Roddy Hart, Tommy Riley, you know, Alan, and we're all like, we're all, we're all dudes. So like, we were wanted to be so careful with uh, with our, our, our female characters and particular Anna. But one of the things is when when you find a talent like, you know, Ella Hummond, she's sort of sitting in front of you and not only is she asking questions during the audition and she's asking about the character, she's asking the right questions and she's got, like, she wants she wants to know, she wants to understand because she wants to play that. And for me as a director, I love, I love working with actors. I love sitting down and going through character and finding them and discovering them and giving them uh, the opportunity and the onus to take some of this stuff and run with it. And watching them just build these characters themselves is just just amazing. And she is just incredible, absolutely magic. And she's brilliant. Um, she was brilliant in her self tape. Like I, I was actually going back through my, my my notebook and I was finding stuff and uh, like her name circled, Christopher Lavoe's name circled, Ben Wiggins's name circled, Sarah Swires circled. 
So you found the cast, and I was speaking to Alan last night, and he says that when the cast met, they all kind of gelled, and then you had the rehearsals. And what was that process like, watching these people become friends, and how did that impact your ability to direct them? Um, well, first and foremost, as well, is like, you know, they're all professionals, and, and the thing is, is they all come in there together as, as young actors. And it's not that long ago they were at school, and all of a sudden, they're in an old school. There's nobody about. They've got the run of the place. The they just like transformed into kids. Like it was hilarious. Like they 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 play pranks on each other. They play pranks on the crew. They play play pranks on the office. You know, like this. Like they just embodied the idea of like childish humour and just ran with it. Like all day, every day. <laughs> like they they were great. Like. As soon as they sat with me, they, like, they knew it was work time. Having all that play, and I never ever wanted to stifle it. I always wanted them to have that opportunity to make like the play, like as in with the characters, with the scene, block it out to the like to the way that I needed certain things to be, with all their input, you know, working together to, to like to get those scenes right. We'd done in rehearsals, and then like even on the shooting and stuff like that as well. Like watching, as I say, them like even like just um, bond in jail. Like there's there's a, there's a couple of instances of just some playing pranks and things like that, like, like on each other. Um, but the the first day that I had them for rehearsals, I was on recce's all day, so I couldn't be there. <laughs> so I was I was really 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 disappointed. Like that my my first day with my cast, I'm not actually going to get to do anything with them. But what I'd done was I got my mate Tyler Collins to come in and um, do a clown class with them. Um, uh, because I'm a big fan of physicality, and I want my actors to not to know know that no one understand their body and understand how they hold themselves, how they walk, how they talk. You know, like the acting doesn't just come from standing. Like in a lot of Hollywood movies, they stand still, look straight ahead, and say the lines, and then it's just like there has to be that element of physicality to them. And I wanted them to be aware, like understand that and be aware of that. So. I got him to come in and he worked with them, but also gave them the opportunity to be silly in front of each other. This is the first time they're all sitting down and meet to work together. Let them be silly in front of each other and not worry about the consequences because they've got that they're, they're, they're going to be around each other all the time now. And they just embraced that. They, they, they had, and they had so much fun with it. Um, so yeah, and my mate like phoned me like um, when they were finished. He was like, "Dude, they're just such, such a fun bunch. They're going to be brilliant." So the thing was, is I was I was averaging three, four hours sleep a night because That's it's tough. just all the prep time. So I needed somewhere that I could get that wasn't far from set. And of course, I knew about that because I'd lived there before. Here's the, here's the thing, right? See, when you're filming in Scotland, it's it's going to be cold. It's going to be wet. It's going to be windy. You just need to go on, mate. Yeah, we you don't. That- if you don't. If you, uh, if you don't get on with it, nothing will get made, nothing will get shot. And that's why, like, you hear about it all the time, American crews coming over here and going, wow, like, these guys, like, just hike up mountains and, you know, hump gear and it's, like, they're dirty and muddy, but they don't care. It's just part of it. It's just what it is. Yeah. Um, and that is, like, with, like, like, and I've got, I had that crew. I had that crew that didn't, that didn't moan. They just got on there. You know, like, they, as well as, like, I'd worked with these folk as well as, like, a camera assistant. You know, the, these folk knew me as well. From, even, like, the Sparks, the gaffer, like, um, used to be the best boy on uh, Waterloo Road, and I used to hound him all the time when we were all, like, on location for power. You know, <laughs> like, um, as I said, I know these, I know these folk. And 
the cast themselves were great. Like they were just they would get wrapped up in, you know, like the the, the costume department, you know, looked after them, uh, made making sure that, you know, they're in and out of their cars and they're kept up wrapped up warm because of course they are out in the cold, the wind and the rain and like little tiny like shots and like, you know, the jackets are there, but they're open, you know, it's yeah. and it's still freezing. So um yeah, they they got on with it, they bother. Like and as I said, even with, with us, it's just what you need to do. Yeah. What were some of your best memories of filming from behind the scenes? You said they played a lot of pranks on each other. What was the best memory of that? Like one instance was remember before we, we gave them the one common room so they were all together, but before it would split up to the, the girls and the boys. And within the first day that they were there, I heard screaming and shouting and I came out to the corridor and I was like, what's going on here? And the girls, it was Ella and Marley and they were like, they're not allowed in their room anymore. And I went, why? They're like, they stole all the throws. So I went in. And it's like they've stole all the sparkly nice throws because they made like they wanted to make a big four, you know, <laughs> like things like that. Yeah. Um. Uh, and the boys said, and or, or they would go down and they'd have like nerf gun fights in the gym, you know, <laughs> like like they um they had a lot of like just love for each other, like they were just like just best friends. And as I said, they were in a school, and they're all in a, they're all in a movie, <laughs> and they're all covered in blood playing Scrabble, you know. You can't, they, as I said, they. Um, and the crew as well because the crew like, were, were so into it and into the film and behind the film there was this like just buzz every day which was just made my job absolutely it's like just so so easy so I've obviously never directed and I've especially never directed a musical what was that like how did you decide on the sequences on the songs and how do you direct a musical don't know mate really don't know it's just like directing a film i suppose it's um the musical elements are just an extension of storytelling like is like i don't know musicals before i come out of this film it was like the one thing i don't know like i've never shot horror i've never shot action but i'm going ah, i've seen all this stuff i know how to do this yeah you know how um, it looks but, so you can approximate no I, I can cut in my head and like you know i can you know i can piece things together i can i can definitely do that i know how to do that um i've seen it enough <laughs> you know um and um, I've with the, with the musical side of it, I said it was something I hadn't seen, so I went to see a couple of musicals. Totally love Wicked, like absolutely love Wicked. Love Legally Blonde. See Legally Blonde on the stage is brilliant fun. It's just great fun. Um, but you know, I watched like like I, I fell in love with West Side Story. Never seen West Side Story before. Love love the cinematography. Love the cutting. Love the pace and love the colours. Um, I saw Moulin Rouge, Cabaret. I, I, I watched ten minutes of High School Musical. Um, <laughs> That's enough for I totally, anybody. I know. I totally bailed on Glee. I was like, nah, it's not my thing. Um, and um, but yeah, so that was that. Um, like for like the musical side. So when it came into shooting it, like me, me and my DOP, we'd we'd, we'd plan stuff. I, I had animatics as well. So like what I had was, I'd got a storyboard artist to draw out these shots for me, and then like I cut them together, so that then I could show the crew and I could show um, the cast what it is I'm looking to do. Like this is this is what like, this is how it's going to come together all together, and it was just a way of sort of communicating that because, and I never wanted to feel like we were going to do a music video or it felt like we were going into like a, like a like a song and dance number. I wanted it to just come in organically. It was just part of the world. Um, I mean, we've got real heightened moments within the film and real heightened colours and things like that. But these kids are just sort of embodying the sort of like millennials of of now, and um, so, so the we're attaching ourselves to them, but it can still be big and fun and silly. 
Ghostbusters is like the great example of that, where you've just got four guys that are exterminators, but somehow we, we see them as like superheroes. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah, the four they're just working they're class Joes. Lives and... uh, they're, just, uh, they're four working class Joes that just sort of like are in this heightened sense of reality, but like, you know, how did they get like money to become Ghostbusters? They remortgage, raise mum's house. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. that's like the, the you know like it's real things in a heightened sense of reality, and I love that. And that's kind of like that's all this was for me. This is great. I get to have characters like shouting out monologues. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, like here's how I'm feeling, and here's here's what I'm saying about it. <laughs> do you know, um, uh, you've like. That instantly, I'm getting get, uh, uh, like it's doing so much of the heavy lifting for like character development and you know backstory and everything else. That as long as it was, as I say, serving the story and driving the story, uh, you know that was only the time we we had musical moments. It was never just oh, it's been 15 minutes. Let's bar a bar a bar a song in. Are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with us about the making of Anna and the Apocalypse? We had a lot of fun making it. We all became like such a close knit family afterwards that like um, it's it's not only as I said sort of sort of pushed us all like further in your careers, but you know as I said it sort of all brought like a whole bunch of people together. And what I kind of love about that is what that's what I'm hoping that it's going to do in like cinemas. It's going to have people like friends all coming together to go and watch it. It's the same way like people in the houses like later on if they're they're watching it at home at Christmas time, they're all going to come in together to watch it and you know as i say feel good about it and have like this sort of feel good fun time i think it's definitely going to be a group participation thing in the future kind of like rocky horror and whatnot people just get together and belt out the songs to be fair that would be like that would be absolutely banging the idea of people like all dressing up and you know having a bit of fun that's that's what it's about that's what that's what film's supposed to be entertainment it's escapism you know, forget about your mortgage, forget about the kids, forget about your work, forget about any of your problems and just come on into this mad fun world and let's go and, you know, have a bit of fun for 90 minutes. <laughs> this is the Peter Greenwood Show, Anna in the Apocalypse special. My name is Peter Greenwood, I'm the titular host of this train wreck and I have got a very very special treat for you today coming up next our next guest in this special you know her as steph if you saw the film ladies and gentlemen please welcome to this pokey little show the just incredible sarah swire hello sarah how are you today i'm good nice to uh nice to nice to talk to you hello <laughs> it's lovely to talk to you i and you're here because we are talking about anna and the apocalypse in which you play steph and you choreographed yeah. as well which I yes. didn't realize. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, well. Um, well, yeah, thank you. And it was an absolute blast. Uh, yeah, it was a wild ride. So let's get into the Anna, of, the Anna of it all. When did the script first cross your path? Um, it, When was it? I think it was, it must have been like uh, January of 2017. Um, I was finishing one of, toward, heading towards the end of one of my visas for the UK and uh, moving back to Canada. Um, and I had gotten it just like any other script or any other audition. It wasn't anything fabulous. There's no incredible story behind it. Um, just another actress trying to trying to make her way in the world and um, try my best during all those self-tapes, all those grueling self-tapes that um, all us young, aspiring and exhausted actors love to do uh yeah and it all just kind of fell together 
The idea of a self-tape seems absolutely terrifying to me. Um, I mean, it's a funny thing because uh, it is quite fun, depending on who you film it with and depending what the content of the, the script is. Uh, if you make a nice day out of it, and actually, to be fair, I think if you are an actor and you don't often have the opportunity to act um, uh, in a on screen or in a, a stage performance, doing self-tapes is kind of like doing homework or just flexing those muscles every once in a while. So your brain's always switched on in that capacity. So I'm not necessarily hostile towards them. <laughs> uh, I know they're really useful uh, and uh, and can help people like myself, international artists that um, hope to keep working in the UK and, and other countries uh, to be able to be seen um, all over the world, which is awesome. Thank God for the internet. It's fantastic. Yeah, well done, well done the internet for existing. So you sent in the audition tape, and how long was it before you were on set? Because it filmed in January that year, didn't it? Uh, yeah, so I saw it must have been 2016. Um, it, uh, oh my god, time, time moving shapes us in such a funny way. Uh, it, was a, it was a few months after, it was almost a year. Like, I think if I, I auditioned probably in March or Feb or even earlier than that, uh, and ended up, yeah, flying over to Scotland in December that year and shooting uh, in January. At what point did choreogra- choreography come up? Because you're a musician and a dancer as well, outside before Anna as well. So yeah. how did you say, hey, I've got these skills, and how did you get talked into doing choreography for it as well? Um, my, my darling agent... Uh, fought my corner very hard. Um, but I had also been working in Scotland as a choreographer uh, for primarily music videos for a long time uh, and doing movement direction and some choreography for stage. So I was quite familiar with um, that territory and with a lot of the independent artists working there. Um, and because of the nature of the film and, and the nature of it obviously being a musical, but the songs not being traditional musical theater songs coming from more of a pop rock background because they're written by the incredibly and insatiably talented uh, Roddy Hart and Tommy Riley, who are both uh, really badass independent songwriters in their own time and space. Uh, and when minds collide, they make really badass independent pop rock songs. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of what I had been doing before. So those, the, the mashup of that music and the style and the content of the choreography that I've been doing in the past seemed, I guess, to be a good fit. Um, the other incredible cause of it, too, would have to be someone who I don't speak enough of, but I think so very highly of, is uh, a very well-known uh, Scottish choreographer named Emily Jane Boyle, who, if she didn't give me my first fighting chance uh, uh, in a film, which was Got Up the Girl, or um, allowed me to work alongside her, I wouldn't have had that opportunity to be able to choreograph at this film. So I, she is a mentor and a friend and I owe her so much. Yeah. Awesome woman. <laughs> I, I do know the name, but I can't think where I know her name from. Where would I, where would you recognize her name from? Oh, Emily Jean Boyle has done everything you can possibly imagine. As she's done most stage shows in Scotland. She has, she worked with Matthew Bourne for years as a principal dancer. Um, she used to be the head of uh, the dance department for the musical theater department at the Royal Conservatory of Scotland, which is where I met her. Yeah. Um, yes, she's done everything. You've probably just seen her name in every single thing you've gone to see. So she's amazing. Yeah. So you're, you're, char- you're charged with playing Steph and choreographing. How did you find Steph when she was first presented to you? Uh, 
funny because the characters on paper are intended to exist as kind of uh, the archetypal tropes of those high school figures. Um, and then throughout the chaos and the danger that they uh, fight through in the midst of this, the zombie apocalypse, um, you see them grow into into real people, human human beings that you would that would live next door, that you would go to school with, that you would meet in a supermarket, that would be amongst your crowd of friends. Um, but I think for Steph in particular, like it's just being a bit more mindful about um, introducing a, a queer character in a contemporary fashion. I like I know like of myself and my other queer friends, uh, we didn't go <laughs> to high school being outright angry and defiant and, and incredibly out, uh, outspoken off the bat. Like you learn those skills over time as you build catalysts. Um, and as you build a, a struggle vocabulary to be able to communicate with everybody, despite feeling like you can't always be heard on every platform. Um, so for Steph, like it's, she's obviously she wants to change the world and she's a, a very young, uh, philanthropist, but she's Excuse me, no F A. Oh, you, you can swear really, away. I'll edit it. As, I'll I can swear. Yep. Oh man, she's stressed out and she's so anxious and she's got like extreme emotional neglect from her parents. Like what a cocktail of trouble. So she's definitely um, not a typical in-your-face, loud and and crass uh, <laughs> uh, queer woman. She's she's just a young person like everybody else. She's going through the exact same trauma. Her sexual identity does not define her. Her gender does not define her. Her, her goals in life are what drive her forward. Um, yeah, and her, her sense of independence in doing so. That's one of the most amazing things I found about Steph when I was watching the film. And I spoke to Alan about this. And mm-hmm. it's the fact that her sexuality doesn't define her. Like she's not running around going, oh, my girlfriend, this, oh, my girl. She just exists. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's not like people pander to it. And it's not like she has to describe it and in every way does she and that in no way does she have to prove that to anybody that her love is real for her girlfriend in the same way that her love is real for um her parents in the same way that her love is real for um the, these new friends that she has with her um yeah it it doesn't need to be uh it doesn't need to be explained because there's nothing else to explain it's just a human being existing like everybody else yeah she she's she's just there trying to survive the apocalypse that is that yeah. is her life. <laughs> <laughs> one of my fa- one of my favorite Steph scenes is it's such a little moment, but it's such a powerful moment to me because we've all had the moment in her. It's in the scene where she's just asked Chris to film the, the soup kitchen, and she's walking mm-hmm. away, and somebody yells, "Oh, Annie Lennox!" and chucks something at her, and <laughs> there's such quiet dignity in the way she just keeps going because we've all had that experience of somebody being a dick to us, and it's like yeah. Steph just managed to rise above it which was such a a nice moment for me i'm like oh she she gets it because we've all had that happen mm-hmm. yeah it's like it's like um that beautiful and and sentiment that um thing that i i suppose keeps getting and and, and is so necessary to keep reiterating to anybody who's going through a difficult time but like it gets better and i i do think that she's one of those people who who that kind of mantra is ticking away in the back of her head that it gets better. This will get better. Things will get easier. This time will pass and I will be able to be the person and live with the people that I want to live with. Even like outside of all of the um, undead insanity, that is something I think that just keeps her going. And yeah, it's it's cool to see someone struggling with that. And obviously we all know people like even like ourselves who struggle with that. Um, But to be able to watch someone 
put the hood up, put the skin on, take it and go, you know what? It means nothing to me because in years this will mean nothing to you as well. I think she's remarkable for that. I want to ask about the filming of the film. It's January in Greenock and you're mm. basically wearing a school uniform. What was filming yeah. like, shall we say? It was cold. It was very cold. It's one of those things where you can you can get a little bit miffed about it, but there's nothing to be upset about. We were getting we we're making a badass film with really cool people. Everybody always showed up in really good warm gear, except myself because I'm an idiot. And <laughs> 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 like I have to, so I've just got this like thing where like if I really want to work hard, I have to like I have to dress for it. Like I have to wear like a like a work costume. Like as a choreographer, as a, as an actor, of course, the costume's given to you. But as a choreographer, like everyone's wearing really smart thermal layers and jackets and mitts and boots and hats. I'm wearing like dungarees and like Converse. And like fingerless gloves, <laughs> and like no hat, and just shivering. Um, but um, in in terms of shooting, like definitely chilly. But like um, at least we weren't afraid of one another. At least we had each other to, to keep us warm. Uh, you know, with hugs and in the car, and with like thermal hand warmers, but also with just with like spirit and malarkey and 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 ruckus. And uh, shooting was just as fun as all the fun that we had off set in between takes. So it really didn't feel as cold as it did if that is not the most cliched response but god damn it it's true <laughs> <laughs> that's what i've heard from everybody who i've spoken to like i've spoken to alan mcdonald the writer and john mcphail the director and he just says being on ah, s- and they both that. said that being on set was just the most fun amazing experience like yeah. they they talked about watching you all become friends and they talked about how Aww. you all almost kind of regressed back to school children because you were in an empty school <laughs> wearing school uniform and <laughs> at certain points you'd go off into different groups like and yeah. just sit and talk what was that I know I know you probably can't tell me stories from on set but what was it like being on set getting to know this cast man like the greatest experience of my life it's the cast and beyond the cast, like these people I'm going to have with me for the rest of my life. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I do without them at this point. Um, it's awesome. Like, and I agree. The school was such a remarkable thing because the school wasn't just like where we shot and where the green room was. Like it was the office for Blazing Griffin and for the art department and, um, for, uh, all of the cinematography crew for the sound, for lighting, like everyone functions, out of that school. So everybody a part of, there was no one separate. There was no separate unit. There was no separate building. We all came to the school every day and we worked in the school and it was so smart. And so, I mean, whether it was planned or happenstantial, like it couldn't have gone better. Um, yeah, we just had so we just played around. We had so much fun. We made up games. We shot silly videos. We, we rapped a lot, which I, I mean, that's really hard to articulate how that began, but like, yeah, just, fun around every corner <laughs> please tell me there's videos of rapping yeah i don't know if i'll ever see the light of day because oh. we're, all, we're all awful at it um but maybe in like 20 years time we'll just <laughs> hang them up yeah for the 20th anniversary blu-ray or whatever blu-ray is in 20 years time i would like yeah, to ask exactly. as well about the choreography because you choreograph the dance numbers which i'm desperate to ask you about but the extras as well, mm. did you, because you did body movement as well, did you help choreograph the zombie movements and the zombie performances? Yeah, so we, uh, John and I talked um, for 
quite a bit about what kind of zombies we wanted. And I, of course, the discussions went up the, up the ladder and every, everybody had to stay, but it all kind of boiled down to classic zombie, not too fast, maybe some were faster because they were more athletically inclined when they were alive. But ultimately, like, you know, slowly decaying bodies, realistically, how would slowly decaying bodies move? Um, and just kind of building a, a unique process in which people could figure that out for themselves because there are so many extras coming to do this film and a lot of them are doing it for no money or for free, just out of the love in their hearts. So if, you're, if you can't make it fun, then what's the point? Um, and I think the same thing with the choreography too is that so many people came and did this film because they wanted to be a part of it and because they knew Ryan McKinley or they knew any uh, other people in the cast or they just liked the concept of it. So, you know, as a choreographer... I'm not going to come out and give people things that don't feel comfortable in their body and they don't want to do because if people don't look like they're having fun, if people don't look like, if people don't feel like they're, they're competent enough, then that comes across and that's hard, that's hurtful and it's for them and for the whole experience. So uh, the back of my head the whole time was just like, how do I do this? So everybody has a good time. <laughs> There's a video online on your Instagram of you kind of walking through the moves of what looks like Hollywood ending and that that ties nicely into a listener question what was the most difficult number to choreograph in the film um Hollywood ending was not necessarily difficult because I had already drawn like like kind of like a comic book everything that I wanted to be in that um sequence and then the only thing that was difficult about it which I suppose you (laughs) have found <laughs> um, was uh, that in terms of we'd had no time to rehearse uh, which is kind of the bare bones of it because it's an indie budget film it means there's not a lot of time um, so one has to be very mindful about what uh, I myself as a choreographer am able to teach to people in a very short window of time and what people from varying levels of movement background being non-movers completely uncoordinated from limb to limb to trained dancers like, what can everybody do, and what can everybody feel good doing? What can everybody look good doing? Um, so I spent a lot of time, like, two, like a week before uh, Christmas in the canteen by myself, uh, dancing out all of the bits and then filming them and then stitching them together in, like, this, like, really sad, uh, like, one-man flash mob sequence and then sending it off to everybody and being like, this is what you may do! Um <laughs> And then, but in terms of difficulty, like the, um, give them a show at the very end, uh, which I worked in close companionship with, with Emma Claire Brightland, who is the incredible, uh, fight director, um, uh, fight coordinator for the film, who also happens to be my roommate now in Toronto. Um, we are just very good friends and, uh, because it was, it which was so complicated because of the massive bodies for the fight angles that we needed to hit for the uh, timing for the movement sequences. So yeah, it was a, that in terms of being grueling and needing to have the most payoff uh, was definitely the most difficult. So who was, I know you're, you're probably not going to answer this, but who was the best and also the worst dancer among the cast? I'm not. I can't answer that. That's not fair. <laughs> no. I think what I can say is that I've seen everybody move so much now, and uh, Malcolm's very good at doing, like, impressions of people, which uh, which is fun to do, and just cheer him on and be like, do me. It's like, pretend to be me. But I've, I um, have everybody's, including 
the producers and the composers, like the way they dance down to like a science. And one day I will show them all. <laughs> I can like imitate them really well. So, but I don't think anyone's bad. Everybody's just got different bodies. Everybody moves in different ways. That's a very um, diplomatic and, answer. But it's true. And, and I mean, like, and that's what adds to every character, right? So if I had a different way of moving, then my character would be different. The way that you move affects the way that you think affects the way that you behave. Um, so, uh, and in that light, uh, and this film being a massively character-driven film, um, working with everyone's bodies and giving them movements or, um, and having dialogue about the movement that they want to do, about what expresses their character the best and what uh, reflects them best as uh, people can, who can articulate a, articulate a story through dance. Um, yeah, that was awesome fun to do. I know we've got to let you go soon, but what memories of Anna will you take away? What memories of Anna take away? I, uh, uh, all of it, I'm still reveling in it every day. I Now I'm very grateful that I get to make new memories with these incredible people and make new silly stories and have new silly anecdotes. Um, but in terms of everything, like I'm just so grateful now that I have a family that I can trust for everything. I have... Uh, open. I feel like I'm welcomed with open arms every time I go back to that to the Blazing Griffin office and steal their coffee and sit in their kitchen. And I um, will never forget the whole thing. Like it, it's really hard to pin down one thing. It's just every every person, every person was the highlight of this whole production. And we're gonna end with a song here. What was your favorite song on the soundtrack? My favorite song on the soundtrack uh, is. Well, I mean, the fish wrap is great. And uh, my favorite dish is fish. Mother flipper, and I eat it for the hell of it. A nice bit of halibut. That's not the only fish they got. Mackerel. Mackerel. I could take more than a snack full. Salmon with some jam, and I could drink it by the temple. Haddock's always red. It's difficult to explain to people when uh, I sing it for no reason. Um, but I really like, other than all of it, uh, the What a Time to Be Alive, the orchestral version that was included on the trailer. Um, it's just, it's intense. It's awesome. It's great. It's such a ridiculous, over-the-top, well-made song, and I don't think it gets enough play. So I'm going to talk about it so it does. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that is about it for this week's episode of the Peter Greenwood Show, Anna and the Apocalypse Special. I just want to take a quick moment to talk about what we've learned on the show today. And I want to ask, how good was that? Like, in case you couldn't tell, a few things. Firstly, it's clearly aimed at a more adult audience. There's a couple of swear words I had to bleep out. The cast and crew swore their heads off. I didn't nearly swear there. I was going to say something else, but I decided against it. I did not nearly swear there, so behave yourselves, okay? Uh, but there's clearly so many different genres of music from the soundtrack. Like, there's flat-out Christmas song with the uh, opening song I played. Uh, Christmas is nothing without you. Then you've got, like, the 80s action rock song with Soldier of War. Then you have, as Alan mentioned, the uh, 80s uh, synth number with human voice. And there's actually a rap number in it as well. I played a little bit during Sarah's interview, 
but I am going to play for you the full version of the fish rap because I think it's awesome. I really love this. This is the fish rap from Anna in the Apocalypse. My favorite dish is fish, mother flipper, and I eat it for the hell of it. A nice bit of halibut, that's not the only fish they got. Mackerel, I could take more than a snack full. Salmon with some jam, and I could drink it by the tap full. Haddock's always radical, I eat the fins, I eat the gills. Pollock, cop, flounder, gumpy, all fish is delicious to me. I remember a few weeks ago, I went to a pop-up store. The crew had opened up in Buchanan Galleries. Uh, not Buchanan Galleries. What's that mall down where you walk in the door and it's like, oh, this is just a shop, this is just a shop. Boom, then it opens up and it's massive. I can't remember what it's called. But they opened up a pop-up shop in there and that's where I first met Alan. And I also met Barry as well, who wrote the novelization. There's a novelization as well. And I was speaking to Alan there, and he mentioned the fish rap, and I was like, it sounds very Lonely Island, and he was like, yeah, yeah, and apparently it was based on uh, Baby Got Back by Sir Mix-a-Lot, so that was where that came from. I, I really heard Lonely Island, because I love Lonely Island, and it's absolutely brilliant, but there we go. Anna and the Apocalypse Special. I would like to thank the cast and the crew for their time. Alan MacDonald, the writer. John McPhail, the director. And he mentioned that he'd done a short, which was filmed in the Greenock Halls residence. And I went and watched it, and it's really, really good. Uh, and also the fantastic Sarah Swire. I was speaking to Sarah off-air a bit. And based on her vocals in Breakaway... I really love her voice in Breakaway, and I said to her, I hope you're releasing a full-on rock album soon. Please release a rock album. And she was like, yeah, yeah, that's coming, that's coming. I don't know if I should have told you that or not, but it's no secret she makes music. And it's no secret that she's really good. So I hope that very, very soon, Sarah Swire will release a rock album and she will come onto the show to talk about it. And I hope next time she's in the UK, she'll come and speak to us in studio. But that is it for this Anna and the Apocalypse special. I'd like to thank you for your time and your patience. Again, I'd like to thank the cast and crew. I will be back next week with the Peter Greenwood Show Christmas special. Or the Peter Greenwood Show Before Christmas special. I haven't quite worked out what to call it because it's not quite Christmas but it's not not quite Christmas. Next Sunday is the 23rd, so it's, it's getting close, I would say. So that is when I will be back next. Uh, thank you for your time and your patience, and I will see you then. I am going to finish this show by playing my favourite song from the soundtrack, which is a song called Hollywood Ending, which is where I first really became aware of the film, because it went out online, it caused some buzz on YouTube and on Facebook, because there's a music video for it. And this is my favourite song from the soundtrack. This is called Hollywood Ending. Until next week, my name is Peter Greenwood. Bye, everybody. Bye.